All right, welcome. Good to have you here. We're going to start. There's a handout in the back table, as there normally is. I hope you got that. We are uh, just a couple weeks away from being finished with this particular growth hour. We started it seven weeks ago. The growth hour literally just called Thinking Biblically About 2020. And what I said that first week, I say again now, we just wanted to process together. We didn't want to like brush things under the carpet. Right, we wanted to kind of say, hey, what, what happened here? What, what have we gone through? Uh, what, what can we learn from it? What, what categories might be helpful for our thinking and processing? Which is partly what we've tried to do. What I've tried to give you are some categories. And maybe the most important category is thinking about a third world culture. Right? I, I mean, from the looks of it, besides my in-laws who are visiting today from Minnesota... Uh, Russ and Doris Brown. Russ, raise your hand, will you? Yeah, that guy gave me a daughter. Can you believe the guts it took for that man to give away a daughter? I've, I'm indebted. So, but, uh, but besides Russ and Doris Brown, uh, most of you have been around to talk about this third world culture, which really changes the dynamic in one way of how we think about ministering in the world today, right? So that's, that's one thing about, this is, un, this is helping explain our neighbors, our coworkers, uh, the teachers, our kids will study under if they're in college or p- public school. Uh, and here's the thing that's kind of sad slash scary. It isn't just out there, right? It actually infiltrates into our lives because it's in the air we breathe and the water we drink. And it's hard not to be infiltrated by that. The same way that in a wealthy country, it's just hard to avoid having materialistic bents. It just is. And again, you know it's bad when you're in the top 5% of the world and you think of wealthy as an entirely different category, right? It's just, it's just, those are the things. We don't feel wealthy, and yet we are never worrying about the next meal. And that's when they tell you, by definition, that's wealth. If you are not worrying about the next meal, you're wealthy. But it doesn't feel like wealth. When you think wealth, you think of LeBron James, or the Bezos guy, or whoever, right? Like you're thinking of those people as wealthy because it has been normalized and naturalized such material wealth that it actually feels neutral. And that's the, and I'm not, we're not even talking about wealth and materialism right now, but I'm saying that's the issue, right? You don't even realize how we have been infiltrated with categories and thoughts and postures that are third world culture because it's been naturalized and normalized among us. So we need to, and maybe that's a separate growth hour, have a particular class where we say, okay, what's it mean to be holding to arguably a second world culture belief system where thus saith the Lord, here's what God commands, we serve him this way. He defines marriage, he defines family, he defines gender, he defines life in the womb. Like he defines those things. And yet we're living in a culture that he has no place anymore. There's no moral authority in any of those things. Are we in fight mode? Are, are we in prayer mode? What, is, what, what do missionary conversation look like? We're not just talking about a foreign land. We're talking with a guy that we share a fence with, right? Like those are the kind of conversations that we need to start having. And that's another topic. But at least it's helpful, that third world culture category, to now we can say, oh, okay, I can totally see now if one of the symptoms of a third world culture is that when the transcendence is gone and the transcendence being God and the things of the heavens, when that dissipates, something else will be made transcendent. Now I see the political 
things rising to the top, right? That's exactly what guys like Reef and Truman and Taylor, guys that, that if you want to read them, you can read them. But these are what they're saying, politics, meaning the things of this world will give, we be given transcendent value and it will be like apocalyptic religious wars. It's life or death. It's, it's salvation language will be used to talk about an election that has happened for centuries and if the Lord doesn't return, will happen for another several, right? It's clearly not the end of the world, but that kind of language will be used. People will be demonized not just as, well, I really disagree on his theory of taxation. They will be demonized as the arch enemy of all things good. So when you hear that kind of rhetoric, it's one thing for you to say, ah, third world culture, that's being made transcendent. Here's the problem. That rhetoric became normalized, and guess what? We use that rhetoric. So Hillary Clinton, evil, or you just totally disagree with her politics? You see what I'm saying? I'm just giving a name. What do you think of when you think of Hillary Clinton? What do you think of when you think Barack Obama? Or to pick another party, what do you think of when you think of Donald Trump? And what would the other side think of those individuals, whichever side that would be? You see what I'm saying? If they're totally demonized, guess what they're doing? They're making it apocalyptic. So that is the difficulty we face. And because it's neutral and natural, we don't even realize it. Just like none of you is like, I'm really hoping that the church donuts have extra because I have no idea what I'm going to do for lunch. Like that's, that's, and if there was somebody in our church family, obviously, what would we do? We would want to help them. But the, re, the reality is there are parts of the world where that's exactly what the church would have to do. We are not in one of those parts of the world, or at least this part of this country, at least as we know it and experience it. And so the reality is it has been naturalized. Great wealth and resources has been neutralized, and we don't even taste it. And the same can happen with an ideology of a third world culture. So that is the big takeaway that I wanted to share with you that I've hit on six weeks in a row now, seven, or at least five weeks in a row now, six. I didn't necessarily mention it the first week, but the second week after kind of saying, hey, we want to talk about 2020 because it was rough. Uh, people are hurting over 2020. People are angry still about 2020. There is, there is division still over such things. And when I say 2020, I don't just mean COVID. I mean the, you know, the perfect trinity of COVID, uh, election crisis, and racial crisis, right? The unholy trinity of those three things have caused huge conflict. And we just need to be, be aware of that. Ironically, usually in, in, the, in the church historically, when it would look at the... Un, it, actually, there's those, those that would speak of the unholy trinity, the, the actual true arch enemy, and the three unholy trinity arch enemy would be the world, the broken, fallen world in contrast to the church, Satan, he probably should have been listed number one, and ironically, the flesh, ourselves. So historically, guys like Augustine and Aquinas, pastors of old, when they would talk about what needs to be spoken of with the harshest of terms, you would see those three. Satan, he, he is an arch enemy that should be thwarted at all costs and attacked if, if possible. The world, is go, we're constantly going to be attacked, hated, persecuted. Welcome to Jesus' depiction of of the Christians' interaction with the world in John 13 through 17. But then ironically, the one that's easy for us 
as modern individualists in third world culture to neglect is the flesh. So we, and where the flesh becomes beautiful is it makes us, it makes us question ourselves. How is the flesh still reigning in me in ways that until Christ come will have a foothold in me until Christ fully redeems my body, right? Like he's redeemed my soul, but my physical body has yet to be fully redeemed. And proof of that is that people are still dying and people are getting cancer or uh, getting, getting ill and sick or speaking and acting in ways that don't perfectly align with God's holy sacred will. Like the proof of that is the flesh is actually still needing to be fully redeemed. Hence, the purpose of death. Again, we don't like to think about death, right? But the purpose of death is our last act of, obedient, of obedience. We've given our soul to Christ. Now we give our body. And really, from the point of giving our soul to the point of getting our body, what are we doing? It's a dying to self. Every step of the way, Lord, if you were in first service, you're saying this. If you're in second, if you're going to second service, you have the privilege of singing this. Uh, that, and I forget the title of the song, but "Consecrate My Life to Thee," that old hymn that I remember singing as a kid. And Vera said as much when she got up this morning. I, and, and in the song, you're giving body parts, your hands, your feet, your words and mouth, your lips. Lord, take my life and let it be. Like That is the Christian life. And we could talk about parts of the body or aspects of living, and all of that is what we're giving to the king. And when, so when you think of apocalyptic, this is the, she's pure evil. Right? Well, actually, the church would say, here are the three evils, right? Satan, the world, and the flesh. And as part of the flesh, yeah, she's pure evil. But I don't think a party fits that, even though it might be a subset of the world. Fair enough. So this third world culture is a helpful category. And I want to spend some time next week, which is our last class, just having a time of Q&A and discussion. Like you come with your questions or topics, not that necessarily I'm going to answer. I'm not necessarily an expert on this. I'm providing the categories. I'm certainly going to have some thoughts or reflections. I get that. But I'm just simply saying, bring some topics that maybe we could discuss. Bring some ideas for classes that we could have. Like let's, let's end our class thinking biblically about 2020 with some healthy dialogue together, thinking and processing this. So I'm not going to come with this huge agenda. I'm going to say, hey, let's discuss together. What are some things we can take out of this? What are some ways we can process together? What kind of things would be helpful to cover in the future? What kind of healing maybe do we need to do so that our church can heal from or individual families or friends that are, aren't speaking, which is you know, hopefully minor, but ha- can and does happen, What kind of healing do we need to do? What kind of preparations do we need to make so that we don't go through what we've gone through in 2020? Well, I ask you a question, the first question, what are some of the important lessons? And I want to ask that to you right after I pray. Let's talk about that for a minute. And then I want to give you some ways that I think that we can respond differently in 2021 than we did in 20. I give you five things to know and in relation to those, some five things to do, and then I'm going to give you some applications I have. Again, agree or disagree, right? I mean, we are shooting from the hip with hopefully some level of biblical reasoning because 
There's no Bible verse that addresses this. It's not like Romans 17, COVID 2020, here you go. There's none of that, right? Remember I said last week, like a doctoral dissertation, you're writing on a topic that nobody's addressed, and you're just kind of going around the topic, trying to figure out how to address it, because nobody actually has taken that on themselves. So too, welcome to the Christian life, right? You are trying to improvise with a kind of knowledge and awareness and principles, but nobody's actually written a word-for-word script on what that's supposed to look like. That's actually the Christian life and the mission of the church in every new generation. And we are part of that and the front lines of kingdom work here in our parish. But let me pray, then we'll hit these questions and and then we'll, we'll be done. Father, thanks for my brothers and sisters who come. And thanks uh, just for allowing us to have space between our services in this growth hour to, to raise these issues, to talk about them, to encourage one another, to learn and grow together. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you, question number one, what are some of the important lessons Christians should learn from 2020? That's big, broad, and vague. right? So I want to kind of open it up for a few minutes and ask you, what are some of the lessons Lessons that, that we should learn from 2020. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Things can. And to be fair, uh, the, the comment was things can change in a dime, and the only thing that doesn't change is God. To be fair, that isn't new information, right? Meaning, the, how many generations have gone through this? How many generations have gone even just through global pandemics? right? Or world wars or cultural crises. How, we, we talked about the fracturing of evangelicalism. Uh, this is, I mean, you, you have fracturing of Christianity, three major divorces, 1054 East and West, hence Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic, 1517 Protestant broke off from the Western Roman Catholic Church. And then we're just talking a century ago, welcome to fundamentalism versus evangelicalism. So actually, none of this is new. Christians have always fought for what is right and true biblically. And oftentimes, at least a century ago one, it wasn't between what is the gospel, because I think the evangelicals fundamentalists agreed on that. It was how should the gospel work in the world? Like, how do we engage with culture? Do we remove ourselves, a posture of defense against, purity from, Or are we incarnating ourselves and being in it, yet still trying to be not of it? Well, Christians can disagree on that. But that that, that difference fractured, and you literally now have Christian schools and churches, one just up the road from us, that have completely different approaches to those kind of things. So these things are not new, and they have not been without divorce and fracturing before. But when when you're in a culture and a world that's going to change radically like that, we've got to be able to figure out how to handle that. And hopefully we can do that with a level of peace conversation, dialogue. Hopefully there's resources that we can rely upon. I hope so. Other comments? What can we learn from 2020? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I I think everyone hopefully was able to hear that about the comment being that we are brothers and sisters. And, you know, you said a lot of good things, but a, a very brief summary is that when these crises come, that, that our identity and bond and even commanded unity as brothers and sisters has to have some kind of gravity 
upon us that keeps us located and engaged and present and even appropriate, um, even in the midst of those crises. In, 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 un, unlike what you see, I heard, I heard this stat recently, and again, I was just telling a few people while the service started, he, here's the general kind of, kind of a rule of thumb engagement of what happened in 2020 in most churches. One-third of Christians in churches like ours, here's a general rule, one-third of Christians are more committed than ever to their local church. They went through the war. They, they, they heard the conflict in congregational meetings or the, 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 the difficulty of masks. They love Jesus Christ. They are more committed than ever. They're, they're, they, they've kind of gone through these last 18 months, and they're like, we're thankful to be on the other side, but th- these are our people. This is our church. Uh, one third, the, uh, another one third completely wonder, is this the right church for me to go to? I'm not sure I like what they did with masks. Maybe they're too conservative, or the other concern, maybe they're liberal. Again, probably thinking not by view of the deity of Christ or the virgin birth, but probably talking between blue and red, right? Uh, Did they respond well? And it could even be, they might think the leadership responded well, but they felt like the body was too divisive. It's too divided. It's too fighted, right? Um, so that, that's the, so one third is locked in. The other third is like, should we still go to church here or should we find a new church? And the other third is completely gone. And the reality of that, get this, here's the concern of that last third. Most of them have not gone to a new church. And the worry is that, are they ever going to go to church? Like what, what even brought them to church in the first place? Was it just the, they don't, they kind of moved to the nuns and duns? We've, t- we've talked about those categories before. That is, that is the fastest growing church in America is the unchurched. So the fastest growing church in America is the unchurched. Again, that totally fits the symptom of a third world culture, expressive individualism, the death of the sacred and transcendent. Like all of that fits. That means they're totally being catechized by the nature of the world. They're being discipled by that. So the fastest growing church is the unchurched, the de-churched, the no-church, the nuns and duns. Again, not N-U-N. We're not talking about those kind of nuns. It's a, a much, 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 much different. Uh, I mean, when you think about that, there's just sadness over that. There's absolute sadness that's heartbroken. Uh, and, 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 that, and that's across the board. And that's happening, by the way, in small little Baptist churches and mega church. Uh, I, I heard that good summary from, in a podcast with a guy named Matt Chandler. How many of you have heard of the name Matt Chandler? Look at all the heads. Celebrity pastor from a totally different state. That's exactly what happened at his church. He's been the pastor of that church for 18 years. No matter what decision he's, he says, it felt like if I said mask or no mask, I've got somebody absolutely against me. He says, people I have married, I've buried their children, I've sat in hospital rooms with oncology appointments, can, won't even talk to me or call me the worst things imaginable. And I mean, we're talking about a guy who's a celebrity pastor of a church that used to be probably, well, I think, I think it was around 6,000 people, which is massive. It is now down to 4,000 people. In the last 18 months, they've lost 2,000 people. So that any church, no matter what the size, you would just see a level of an exodus from that. And the question, are they even going to church? Like, why are they not even talking to their friends or their family? Like, it's devastating. So then you make the comment, well, wait a second, that's my, you're my sister, man. You're my brother. 
Does that count for anything? Even like 15 years together, that counts for nothing? Like when does that category not become useful or authoritative in the way that we relate together as brothers and sisters in Christ? It's very difficult. And I think if one thing we can learn is that we've got to get to a place as the church, where that becomes an operating category that has an authority on our lives. You, you wouldn't just walk, say, I'm done with my little sister, and you walk in. I've had my kids have said that about their little sister, to be fair. I'm like, but they come back for dinner, right? But imagine they're like, I just will not talk to Ruthie. You know, she's like 10 now, and like she's 27, they still haven't spoken. Like, how devastating would that be? And how could I, as a parent, watch that happen and not my heart break over that? Or, my, or that little sister said several times, why did I have to have brothers? We've heard that several times the last year. But who's imagine her never talking to, like she won't show up to their wedding. Like how weird would that be? How, how broken of a heart would that be? So then we gather for the family meal Sunday after Sunday and we don't even see our brothers and sisters anymore. And we don't even know why, like why? That just hurts. Are you gonna add something? Yeah, well, I, I agree. It, 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 it is messy. It is messy. Yeah. 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 yeah if, you could, if, if you couldn't hear Mary, she was saying like laziness potentially is let's keep maybe that, some of that one third away. And it's possible, true. I mean, and that's partly why, in principle, you know, we, for 13, I think it was 13 weeks, we didn't meet physically, which is like the first time in. I mean, church had been canceled. I, one other time in my seven and a half years with the horrific snow, I still, I still remember Bernie Reese pulls up in that snow. This is my first year. Dear brother who's with the Lord now, and uh, he pulls up, and he, he's there in his white Cadillac or whatever the car that was. So I walk outside. The staff is there like, Bernie's there. You better go out. I'm like, oh, boy. So I walk out there. Bernie rolls the window down. He goes, Young man, come here. I walk up to the window. So you canceled church, huh? And I'm like, what do I say? Like Carolyn, I think, was inside the door. I'm like, come out here, please. And I'm like, uh, well, I, 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 I'm like, I'm totally fumbling. Like, oh, uh, and he goes, well, if we did that in World War II, I'd be speaking German to you right now. And he rolls the window up. You know, like he begs away, drives away. Oh, I'll tell you what, I am so thankful for that dear brother, and uh, I, I'm, I miss him. But all that to say is, you just don't cancel church very often, and when the whole community is shutting down, you feel a responsibility, right or wrong, certain or uncertain, you feel a responsibility to align yourselves with your neighbors in a way that just shows we're going to ask questions, we're going to figure things out. But yeah, we in principle, though, like many churches think it's a new way of church. You can have an eye campus. And I just like, uh, do you do that with your married life? Like, do you do that with your kids? I'm going to live in Cleveland and I'm just going to Zoom with my kids every night. And it's great. We really don't miss anything. And I would say that is a lie, right? That's impossible. Beyond that, you cannot do the biblical practice of church as the Bible commands it, doing it like that. So we, we, we aren't going to have an iCampus, right? We're not, we're not going to do an online service. 
Now, the elders could tell me differently, and I, they're, they're the boss. I'm not. But I'm just saying I would vote no every single time because that's not what that church is. That's not what a family is. That's not what life is. And so, yeah, so then we just need to be exhorting people to be church as the way God's Word says it. We can talk more next week. I, w- I want to just, in the, we only got 17 minutes left. Let's look at, look, look at number two. What are some ways Christians can respond differently in 2021 than we did in 2020? Here, here are things to know. Number one, and I've talked on this enough, we are now living and ministering in a third world culture. There it is. That's your, con- that's your missionary context. Understand it, know it. Let's be ready to live in it. Number two, a third world culture will make politics transcendent and dominant. And get ready, because every two years, there'll be a new election. So just get ready for the new set of elections, and then in a few more years, a new presidential election. Get ready. And it won't just be the news companies that are doing that, or the news channels. It'll be actually our own Christian brothers and sisters that'll magnify the political things. The crisis of our day. Read those letters you get in the mail, these adverts, read them with the spectacles of a third world culture and transcendent politics. Put those glasses on and it'll actually be a fun. Bring, bring your sampling of mail in and we can have a fun day doing bi- literally political interpretation, like biblical interpretation. We'll do political interpretation and we'll read the statements made. You will notice with the loss of transcendence that everything will be apocalyptic. This is the end of America as we know it. And they said that 50 years ago. And then they said that back in the elections 100 years ago, before we were born. Third, a century, like a century ago, the evangelical tradition is fracturing over culture. So now what we're seeing is what you are seeing not only churches, the people, the, the, the third that left that would go to another church, if they were at a red church, they're going to go to a blue church. If they're at a blue church, they're, what they the deem as a blue church, they're going to go to a red church. You're going to find that churches will now look more like political parties. They will they'll look like, like uh, CPAC gatherings rather, right, rather than the body of Christ where we can disagree. That you could have somebody sitting over here that says, I you know, think that uh, health care system you know, insurance, that it should not be universal health care. That's socialism. I think that's the worst thing. You could have somebody over here saying, actually, I think that's common grace. We should do exactly what Great Britain does. And they could both sing, Lord, let my life be yours. Consecrate my lips to you. They could both sing those things, take communion together, and completely disagree on taxation or health care or gun rights. They could disagree on those things because those are complex and there's no Bible verse connected to any of those. But you're finding that's not, where now people are going to be aligning based upon. They're expecting either Democratic talking points or Republican talking points coming from this, which this should never be. So it's fracturing, and that's just hard to see. We're going through another split like we did a century ago, and none of you tasted it. You weren't around in the 20s. (laughs) When you were growing up in the 40s or 50s or 60s, there were fundamentalists and there were evangelicals. Well, now there's neo-fundamentalists and neo-evangelicals. And they're just going to have different traits. Fourth, the church in 2020 was lacking, this is what we've talked about a little bit, it was lacking corporate unity, personal flexibility, and biblical priority. When I mean personal flexibility, I mean what I just said a minute ago. Like, we didn't allow room for different opinions on secondary or tertiary matters. Like we thought this was a gospel issue. It's not a gospel issue. That's not a gospel issue. 
You can totally disagree on gun rights, for example. That is not a gospel issue. You can. There's things we can't disagree on, even related to culture and legal things, and we could talk about what those are, but that would be way smaller than the vast amount of things we disagree on. We lack the corporate unity, so the personal inflexibility caused corporate disunity, and we lost any kind of railing of a biblical priority. And last, and, and, and the, the fifth thing we, we should know, in light of all its personal and corporate failures, the church is deemed essential in the life of the Christian in the world. And the seven-week series we've just been doing here, I think I've tried to make that as clear as possible, but it's all the more clear just based on God's Word and even practice. So here's some things we should do. We should implement a ministry strategy for a third-world culture. Like, if that third-world culture was new to you, then, you know, then we could almost apologize as a church because we should have told you this 50 years ago. But the moment Roe v. Wade happened, that was your first... That's like finding out you've got cancer in your body. And when did Roe v. Wade happen? Anybody remember? Yeah. I thought it was four, but either way. Was it three? 70s. 1970s. Basically before I was born. 75 birthday. So that means for 50 years, we've been a third world culture. And how many, how many of your churches and pastors trained you for that, prepared you for that? How much Christian strategy do you have for engaging with your neighbors? What does apologetics look like when you don't even believe in God and sin? What are the four spiritual laws when there are no laws from above? You don't even believe in law. You believe in self. If your body has no authority over what you think your gender is, how in the world does a book have an authority over you? It's, so what's it look like? So what, what does it look like for your kids and grandkids? What's that look like? What's it look like for my 10-year-old when she goes to university, let's say, in eight years? What's that look like for your kids in 15 years at Hananiga High School? What's that look like just as you're working with your neighbors and your coworkers, your salesmen, you're in, in, the, in the corporate world, or you're in manufacturing and trade, you're, just, you're trying to have a neighborhood kind of conversations and gathering. What's it look, what, what, what are you even talking about? What are the priorities? Like We, we have a lot to work on. And if we're just going to be debating who's more or less Republican or Democratic, we got a world of hurt going on. Second, we need to make the kingdom great again. And I'm all, this, this, all of these five do's are connected to the correlating five no's. We need to make the kingdom great again. Like, I am all for, right? We, I was at a Northwestern football game yesterday, and we sang the national anthem, and the band was playing, and I, I, it, was, it, was, it was moving, and I love our country. Except the lady sang the lyrics wrong. I was like, that should never happen. But all that, all, all that, to, be, all that to say... If we think that our citizenship is first and foremost in our nation, then we would actually sin potentially against brothers and sisters just because they're from a different nation. We have to think about making the kingdom great again. And I think the church needs to do a better job of talking about the kingdom of God and our dual citizenship. And the church is an embassy of the kingdom. 
And if you're going to get sick of hearing those words, I cannot apologize because when Jesus prayed and taught us the Lord's Prayer, He didn't say, Thy America come or Thy North Korea come right? or the, Thy Canada come. He said, Thy kingdom come. And He said, Seek first the kingdom of man and its righteousness. Did it say that? No, it said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, the other, the other lesser important, shall be added unto you in due process. Here's the third. We need to balance evangelical convictions with a humble John 17 Catholicity. Now again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to talk Catholicity as capital C, Roman Catholic. I'm using the word in its most ancient form, Catholicity, which just means universal. That's where you see the, 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 the confession, the, the creedal confession say, one holy Catholic church, lowercase c. That's an old good church word for universal. We need to balance evangelical convictions, right? We need to balance what we hold to dearly. I believe this about this election, or I believe this about wokeism, or whatever the debated issue. I believe that, but at the same time, I got to have a little bit loosening of the hands because I'm, I got to have humility. Like, I don't know everything. I got to hold it a little more loosely because John 17, Jesus talked about us being one. And I've got to hold it even more loosely because... I've got my brothers and sisters of the world, and here's the thing, they, they disagree with me on that. Now, if they disagree with me on the deity of Christ and the God, they're probably not my brothers and sisters. But if they believe in Jesus Christ and Him crucified and are going to be with me in the eternal kingdom, they can disagree with me on something else, and it's okay. And we laugh about, like, the fact that, you know, Brian Otto texts me later today about the Bears killing the Packers, and he'll be like, You're, I should have been a Bear fan. I'll say, Brian, I love you, man. It's okay. Like, it's all right. And we laugh about that, but do we laugh about that? If you have somebody say, I would never vote for Donald Trump. I actually think he's one of the worst things this country could ever have. I would vote for so-and-so or this third party, whatever the case may be. Do we allow, do, do, we, do we, oh, that's helpful. Yeah, what's your, what's your concern with that? Yeah, I get that. But, well, here's where I would go. Like, do, do we have the conversation, or is that actually included, that we incorporate that, is that in the gospel? And I bring up just a debated hot issue over which there's much disagreement. Like, where do we allow for that so that there's a humble John 17 Catholicity? Fourth, we need to unite on theology and make room for Christian liberty. I think the only way we can do number three is if we do number four. We've got to make room for Christian liberty. That's a, that, you're allowed to disagree with me on certain things. Brian can like the Packers. I can like the Bears. He is my brother. He has... I arguably the better team for many years. But he is my brother. He could disagree with me on something with uh, politics or governance or taxation. He could disagree with me about a lot of things, and he has the right to. And I would hope I'd listen to him. And because I know him, trust him, and love and respect him, I would listen. But I could still have my principles and disagree. We could have a healthy talk and still be brothers. And maybe lastly, if we need to speak and act more like Christ, this is the text actually, 
that we're reading and talking about this Sunday morning, read the, it, it, before anybody would ever post anything on any Facebook page, will say anything to their brothers and sisters, they should try to read this first. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's, like, that's, that's who you are. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. And patience. Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ in your hearts rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns with spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed or post, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So before you ever post anything on Facebook, here's what you do. Read that verse and then read your post again. And if it meets all the qualifications, absolutely press enter. But if it doesn't, delete. Here's, here's some practical suggestions at the bottom of your page. Just this salt I threw together, and maybe they're too extreme or not extreme enough. Um, but here, here, here would just be some thoughts that I have as I process for this class and this time together. Again, we can discuss in a dialogue and, and, and have further kind of closure next week in our last time together. But here are my closing thoughts today. Be critical of your preferred news sources. They're not the gospel. And I don't care if that's Fox News, OAN News, Newsmax, CNN, MSNBC, I don't care what it is. They're not the gospel. They are equally part of a third world culture. Be aware of that. And they're absolutely in need of viewers to make things extravagant because they need income. Just be aware of that. Second, I would recommend absolutely getting rid of social media altogether. That's my humble... Um, this is not thus saith the Lord at all. I, not the Lord. But I would say either get rid of social media entirely or use it sparingly. I think it has done more harm than good. And I worry about the impact on our kids and grandkids. And if it's going to be our kids and grandkids that have to see the, taste the impact of that, it would have been nice if it were their parents and grandparents that were modeled that first. Now that takes guts. You are probably addicted at least half the people in here, if they have social media, they're going to be addicted. On average, the average person under 35 is on social media for two hours a day. Do you hear that? Just so you know the statistics. And it's not just ramping up their particular views on life and reality. It's not just narrowing that down. It's also changing the way their brains process. It's causing more division than unity and one of the things un, 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 that is hard to realize about social media, guess what it stirs up in you? Ironically, envy. Because you see those beautiful grandkids, that seemingly happily married couple, right? You see all the good because it's its own form of the self, the modern self, marketing me 
exactly as I want. You took 17 pictures and only that one doesn't show the double chin. That's the one you show. You're not posting every time, had a huge argument, look at my angry face. My husband slept on the couch, have a good Thursday. No, you're only showing the anniversary trip. Nobody sees reality, nobody sees real you. Burn it. Get rid of it. Unsubscribe. Delete it. Be present. I, I think you even make an argument about being human. Be physically present with bodily friends and get rid of social media. If you need, do the old Christmas thing where you get a Christmas letter every year and your friends get to give you a report on where things are at, but get rid of it. And I have a feeling if you don't, you and I are passing down to the next generation a horrific addiction that is going to ruin more lives. Third, no more ghosting, right? That's the word Julia Moore taught me. See, I'm getting older too. You laugh, but I'm getting old. Ghosting is when you just like slowly disengage from a group, right? We see this in churches all over the place. Don't even know where they are. Can't get a hold of them. They've ghosted. They're gone. Don't ghost. By the way, if you want a symptom of third world culture, that's one of them. We don't sit down and have a talk. We disagree about it. We just gone. It's all about me. It's all about you're either with me or against me. There's no middle ground. If you have an issue, talk to somebody. Talk to your small group about it. Come talk to a pastor elder. Let's talk together. We can agree to disagree, so be it. But talk. Be a brother and a sister, not a ghost. Fourth, assume that sin and its distortions are not only out there, but in us. Remember the, remember the unholy trinity that Aquinas would talk about, right? Satan, the world, and the flesh. So assume that sin and its distortions are not only out there, but actually in, in us, in me. That's a great place to start. That's how you get to the humility, the Catholicity, the Christian liberty, because you know you're distorted. You're not doing it right. You're probably not thinking it right. On uh, the fifth, use anger or fear as a litmus test that something is misaligned or off balance in us. Like if you're really amped about something, why? Like, if you're really panicking about this next election, why? Like, why such fear and anger? That is exactly what the enemy uses, and now with a lack of transcendent, what a third world culture uses to magnify importance of lesser things. So the moment you feel that fear or that anger regarding some particular issue, probe that a little deeper. The same way if your blood pressure was a little high, you'd probably want to probe that. Uh, six, be comfortable with different opinions and let them critique and challenge our own. By the way, did you read with me Colossians 3, 12? After kindness, it gives two interesting words, humility and meekness. Notice you don't see the words toughness in verse 12. You don't see the word leadership. You don't see like a dog fighter. You don't. That almost looks like a pansy, doesn't it? That's a softy. That's not a middle linebacker. I want a middle linebacker. Right? Where, where, is that a man? Is, isn't that a, what, is it a wimp? Uh, no, it's Jesus. 
Uh, he was a man. He defined manhood. Oh, and by the way, he was no wimp. Let somebody question. Let somebody close enough that you can hear different points. Again, if you get rid of social media, you're even careful of your news feed, you actually might find that you're actually hearing other things. If you're only on social media and only in your news, you won't even hear what the critiques are. You all, we almost need to start speaking like nutritionally regarding information. Okay, carbohydrates, right? How many sugars, right? How many calories? Okay, how much social media? How much cable news, right? Like you need to start asking those questions to be healthy in regard to intake for your life to reflect that. Last thing, act like Jesus has already won and the gospel is the most important thing. Uh, because he has won and it is the most important thing. Enough said. Father, thank you for our time today. Help us as a church family, brothers and sisters, think wisely and live healthily in a third world culture. And thank you for the comments shared by my brothers and sisters. And Lord, guide us next week as we come back for a last time in this particular growth hour to discuss together these things, maybe even to make a plan of attack or think about facilitating some of these values in our own church family in 2021 and beyond. Just give us wisdom. Be with us now as some uh, go home uh, after a, a couple hours here, or as others prepare for corporate worship. May even our fellowship or coffee over donuts in the next 30 minutes honor you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.